Okay, this is a recording of, actually it's yesterday's talk, the recording didn't work at church on Sunday, so uh, I'm doing take two on the talk without a congregation, but hopefully it blesses you, uh, what I shared yesterday and encourages you in the weeks ahead or whenever or wherever you're listening to it. So we're picking up in the series called Power and Weakness, and this phrase is a real hallmark of Paul's ministry, the Apostle Paul who had a turnaround moment in his life where he came to know Jesus. And he is uh, boasting in his sufferings in a context where this wouldn't have been the norm in these times, that he's writing these letters, that he's sharing the good news of Jesus. And he is uh, wanting and urging for Christ to be glorified. And it's a strange concept, isn't it? to boast in our weaknesses, to have power in weakness. And I was thinking a little bit about this, you know, and I was thinking of a a job interview. You would go into a job interview and list off all your weaknesses during the interview. I mean, your chances of getting the job probably reduce at that moment. You know, I'm not a great timekeeper and I'm really not great before 10 a.m. I need two coffees before 10 a.m. And I'm not very great at speaking to people. I don't like phones have quite a short fuse, and I'm really indecisive. Actually, I'm really indecisive. That's a main weakness, to the point that I don't actually know if I want this job. You can imagine that that would be uh, quite difficult in that context to share our weaknesses. But even for Paul, where he was dealing with uh, what was called, what commentators have called super apostles. We read of them in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, which is where we're going to be. Well, 2 Corinthians 6 is where we're going to be diving into. But these were false teachers who were acting far superior than Paul. Uh, So it was amazing pressure for Paul. But for Paul, it was all about the opportunity for God to show up, for God to give strength, for God to carry And Paul celebrates weakness because it points to God. When I am weak, he is strong. So there's a couple of years between the two letters uh, to the church in Corinth, between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is writing to believers, uh, most commentators think, from Macedonia to encourage them in the challenges that they face in Corinth. It's big city living, it's lots of pressures, it's lots of buzz and life, lots of immorality as well. So it's difficult to live uh, your life for Jesus in Corinth. And he is uh, relieved that they're listening to his words from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, there's a a real weight in his words that project, you know, his instruction, but also his affection. Paul really loves these people. He loves this gathering, this community that is being formed and that are journeying together. And he's really compelled to write and start to write. And in the first part of chapter 6, I want to draw out three reminders by Paul to the people in Corinth that are really good reminders to us today. Three reminders in our walks with Jesus also. So I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 to 13. says this, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. 
Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Amen. Reminders are really good things, aren't they? Most of the times. Who, I wonder, listening has a Google smart device, a Google Nest or an Amazon Echo. They're great, aren't they? And we spent the best part of 30 minutes one night trying to switch one off because it wouldn't recognise our voices. We're saying, okay, Google, okay, Google. And you know the way you say a word loads and loads and loads to the point that the word sounds ridiculous and we just burst tears of laughter trying to switch this thing off. And you realise that uh, you say a word so much that it just sounds ridiculous. Or also a, a memory of ours is our eldest at three years old, our eldest boy shouting, Google, play MFR. It's so cute. But for me, they're great reminders. Google, remind me dinner is ready in 20 minutes. Google, remind me school pickup is at 2.45. Google, remind me what day it is. The problem that I have, though, is that I get these alarm sounds at various points in the day, but Google bless Google's cotton socks, doesn't tell me what the reminders are for. So I spend a couple of seconds each time reminding myself of the reminders. But it does serve a purpose. You know, this space here, as we gather as church community, as you uh, gather with other believers, it should serve as a reminder of how Jesus calls us to live, a reminder of what matters and what doesn't matter, a reminder of who we are living for, a reminder of what to hold and what to let go, where we're headed, a reminder that his spirit never leaves us in the toughest of meetings, the saddest of moments. A reminder of his love. So we go out reminded and shaped and changed into our week. The reminders that we receive in here are to serve us and shape us out there. That we respond. That we are changed in our workplaces, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our parenting. That we respond when we're struggling. That we say to God, There's a reminder that you never leave me, that you're with me, that you're eager to help me. I'm here. I'm here. That we don't leave the reminders unanswered and unactioned. Three things then. A grace reminder. If we look at verse 1 and 2. Now, when we think of a grace reminder, I'm not talking about before a meal. Though I have a few for you, which I'll give you free of charge if you're looking for some refreshing on the old grace before a meal. So the first one is, three words as good as ten, stick in, amen. It's a quick one if you're starving eh, or if yeah, just eager to get to get started. Another one is we bow our heads and lift our paws. We thank you, Lord, for the use of our jaws. And then we have thank you, God, for giving us food in a Superman theme tune. And that's a lot of fun as well. Lots of actions. But I'm not talking about those kinds of reminders. Verse 1 and 2 says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. 
For he says, in the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. There's a very clear instruction here. It's quite strong from Paul to the church in Corinth. We urge you. It goes a bit further than we want to tell you, or uh, we just want to speak to you. The Greek is parakaleo, which uh, is translated as beseech, beg for urgently. So you can really feel the weight in Paul's words. Don't receive. I urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Paul is saying, don't forget the grace of God. I urge you. Don't ignore it. Don't let it pass you by. Don't just receive it. Receive this gift and then go pop it in the cupboard and forget about it. Live in light of it. Paul's concern of the people for the people in Corinth were that there was ears that were hearing but they weren't truly receiving in their hearts, in their lives, to impact. It wasn't landing. The gospel message that Jesus had died for them, that they received his grace. His grace is sufficient for them, that they are forgiven, that they are free. So what does it mean to receive God's grace in vain? There's two things I want to look at very quickly. And a preacher called William Jenkin responded to this question and I love what he says about it. Firstly, when we receive, when we fail to receive it as it comes to us. So how how we receive it first of all and then how we fail to go on living in light of it. So firstly, when we fail to receive it as it comes to us. And this is a, a real challenge around the space that we receive the words, that we receive this hope, that we receive challenge perhaps uh, or just to receive actually the gospel message of what Jesus has done for us, how we live or where it lands, first of all. That we receive it without distraction and we allow it to permeate us and not just bounce off us or to float around and not land or to think more on lunch plans than God's plans. That we come into this space intent and in becoming more like Jesus, that we come expecting asking him, Lord, here I am. I give you permission to to highlight what needs to be highlighted, to speak into whatever area of my life. And we see God's in God's word, the people receiving in vain with Paul himself when he's writing to various churches and also with Jesus, with his own disciples, a very obvious example. And I think it's in John 6 uh, where the disciples reject him. Actually, I think it's further on in John. John 16, I think it is. We see an example of uh, the disciples receiving God's grace in vain. In the Welsh Revival of 1859, two preachers were talking together. One said, have you noticed how all the ministers are preaching a great deal better than they used to? Yes, his friend replied, but perhaps people are listening a good deal better than they used to. That may be true, said the first man, but I think the sermons ought to be much better these days. Why is that, said his friend, because all the congregation seems to be praying for their ministers now. God blesses an answer to earnest prayer. Ministers preach better and listeners listen better. Then the better the sermon, the better the hearing and people pray with even more fervour. There's a sermon of Augustine's on Psalm 31 in which he makes this simple plea to his congregation. I commend my inability to you. Our openness, our awareness of God's grace, our awareness of our weakness and his strength. How do we let God's word 
land on our hearts? How do we approach church? How do we approach gathering to worship? Are we open? Are we commending our inability? Are we coming in our weakness? Or have we have we uh, got this pretense that we've got it all together? Are we keeping a stiff upper lip? So first, that we fail to let it land. And then secondly, that uh, we don't go on living in light of that grace, that nothing changes. We sang uh, this morning, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That our lives would be an active, living, practical reflection of those words that we would demonstrate foundness instead of lostness, that we would uh, never lose the wonder of the grace received through Jesus, this free gift, the freedom gifted to us, the hope and the future that we have, that we're saved, that sin no longer has a grip on us, that we are free, that we're no longer slaves, that we're forgiven, that we're treasured. That we would hold on to those things and let them shape our day-to-day, that we would remember those things instead of the enemy's whispers, that we would dwell on those things when trials come. I was uh, listening to a little clip last week from a, a preacher in Boston called Julian Adams, and he was speaking of a time when he went to visit a church to speak. He travels around quite regularly to speak at other churches, and he was ready to go. He was ready to go. He was saying things like, I was ready to rock with the flock, I was ready to jam with a lamb. I was ready to, what's the other one he says? I can't remember the other one, but there was lots of, basically he was fired up. And while he, they were worshipping just before he was about to come on, there was a guy at the back who was screaming and laughing and going crazy really, just crazy dancing. Probably a bit like my dancing, just lots of arms and legs. You really can't call it dancing, but he was jumping up and down if you, and just all over the place, running from side to side and just screaming, Jesus, 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 just screaming that out during worship. And it's the kind of moment that uh, Julian says that if you had friends invited to church, you would hope that this guy had an off day or wasn't quite himself or wasn't at church just so uh, they wouldn't scare the new folk. And he's sensing that this guy could prove a distraction perhaps or it wasn't, yeah, he just whispered to uh, the pastor of the church, what's the deal with this guy? Is he always like this? And the uh, pastor of the church replied to him, Oh, that guy, that's Jimmy. He can't help but worship like that. He was freed up from the grip of a crippling heroin addiction. And off the back of that, the speaker uh, felt the Lord whisper to him, My son, the only difference between Jimmy and you is that Jimmy is more aware of the grace received than you are. That's a mic drop moment, isn't it? Lord, I just pray for whoever's listening to this that we would have an increased awareness and freedom in receiving the grace that you have gifted us, the gift that you have gifted us, the forgiveness that you have uh, gifted us, the freedom that we can live in. Father God, would you just uh, help us? Help us celebrate that more. Amen. Eugene O'Neill says, Man is born broken. He lives by mending. The grace of God is glue. 
So we have a grace reminder. Secondly, we have a perseverance reminder or on reflecting on this passage, an integrity reminder. There's a lot, there's a few reminders kind of bunched in here in these verses in verse 3 to 10. And everything Paul did, he always considered what his actions communicated about Jesus. It says in verse 3, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. And in verses 3 to 10, Paul wants to show his consistency, his perseverance and integrity in every season. Whilst everything else blows a hooli around him, whilst it all shakes, while there's a steadfastness in his walk with Jesus. and his discouragements, there's a steadfastness in his walk with Jesus. In the toughest of moments of persecution, he finds opportunities to show and to share Jesus. He says, in great endurance and troubles and hardships and distresses and beatings, imprisonments and riots and hard work and sleepless nights and hunger and purity, understanding, patience and kindness. For glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown. And yet we live on and yet we carry on. In all these moments, we, re- we remember Jesus. And that's a challenge, isn't it? Because I think in my own toughest moments, there's, you know, so often I'll struggle with lifting the Bible or I'll pray an angry why or I'll maybe not pray at all and I'll shut down for a bit. And there's all sorts of reminders here and I can feel the pressure when I read all that Paul has went through and how unwavering he is and I ask, would I be like that? It's a struggle and Lord, I pray that, that we would be a people that are like that, that are steadfast in our day-to-day walks when life just throws curveballs that we would stay consistent and steadfast. But I think also what I take from these verses is that we're being watched. That when we say we follow Jesus, people watch how we react, how we live when the pressure's on, how we handle adversity, how we celebrate the highs and trudge through the lows. And it's absolutely important to be honest that we struggle, but how we journey should be different. That we have the Spirit of God in us, that we sing to a different tune. There must be something shining of Jesus in our daily lives that people see and feel and notice that's tangible, that's attractive when we are around, when uh, we are in their company. What are we showing and what do people see? Are we any different? Are we a person with struggles too, but who has something different? inside of them that keeps them going on? Or are we a person who follows Jesus but isn't showing that in our actions and the way that we live around others, the way we speak, the decisions that we make? Are we speaking up? What a reminder that is. So a perseverance, integrity, consistency reminder. And then finally we have a heart reminder. In verse 11 to 13 in the closing remarks of this chapter in the message version it says, Dear, dear Corinthians, you can really sense there from that translation just the, the, the love there. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. The NIV says, as a fair exchange, open wide your hearts also. Paul closes this uh, chapter with what I feel, or this section, with what I feel is a a don't miss out moment to the church in Corinth. There's a hesitancy from these people to go all in after some challenge from Paul, which has come from his love for these people and all he sees in them and all that they can become. 
Are we willing to be stretched and challenged and changed? Are our hearts open? Are our hearts soft? Paul says, I've told you all of this out of love. You know, it's come out of love. To remember God's grace. To don't, don't receive it in vain. Don't just let it bounce about and not land. The words that we receive, chew on them. Let them be the fuel for the weak. Let it shape you. And to use a perseverance reminder, integrity reminder, consistency reminder, when the rubber hits the road, what do people see? And then a heart reminder to open wide our hearts. Because if the heart hardens, it slows, it stops everything. And some of us are perhaps there, we've slowed down and we've stopped. We've stopped with the open heart. We've stopped feeling things. We've stopped being moved by what moves God. And our hearts are getting hard to everything around us. And my prayer that there'd be an opening this morning, that there'd be a chink of light, that there'd be a softening, that the, the Holy Spirit would pour in. So let Jesus in. Receive his love afresh. Open, let's open our lives to him and to each other. And for some of us, that may be just getting back in around people, to sign up to life groups, to go along to socials, to go to lunches, to have a group of friends who know exactly what's going on, to be open with exactly how we're feeling, not to live lives boxed in and restricted. That's not how it's meant to be. We miss out, just as Paul is saying, I've opened up my life, my heart to you. Open up your heart also. Let's open our hearts afresh. Let's be willing to allow God to examine these reminders and do what he wants to do. I just want to close with a, a little uh, excerpt from the Hebridean revival, Duncan Campbell, who uh, it says this, it says this. A very remarkable thing happened, Duncan reports. While kneeling in straw among the barn of a farmhouse, the young man arose and he read Psalm 24, verse 3 to 5. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. He hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. Then the young man looked at the church ministers who were gathered there to pray. And he said, Brethren, it seems to me just so much humbug to be praying as we are praying, to be waiting as we are waiting, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. The young man's message to the church ministers continued. He began to pray aloud and said, Lord, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? Then the young man fell on his knees among the straw and suddenly three of the elders fell into a trance. When this happened in the barn, a power was let loose, which shook Lewis. The result, God seemed to be everywhere. When we have open hearts, we give a posture to the Lord that says I'm yours come and do what you want to do come and cleanse come and clean up come and fill me up for the mission that you have for me so we have three reminders a grace reminder don't receive grace in vain live in light of it let it shine from you we have a perseverance consistency integrity reminder to keep going, to be steadfast in our day-to-day, -to, -day, to not give up. People see us. What are we showing them? But also to show them that we have a hope in our struggles. And then finally, a heart reminder. Open up our hearts. 
clean hands and a pure heart. Amen.